We hear it over and over again. Communities should be at the heart of change. Everywhere you go, at conferences and meetings, you hear the buzzwords shifting the power. But what does that mean when in reality many affected communities barely have any power and control over funds and decision making and continue to be tokenized? And how do we change that? With the Community's first podcast series, AIDS Funds and the Robert Carr Fund take a deep dive into how we put communities in the driver's seat of change. Together with inspiring activists and community leaders and other funders, we will talk about the why of Communities First, best practices and methods in shifting power in the field of HIV, health, rights and beyond. We will also delve into how funders can move from conventional to community-led approaches and all the opportunities and challenges that arise from it. Welcome to the Communities First podcast. Hello, my name is Anastasia Bazverha from the Robert Carr Fund. And today we're going to talk to Yuri Yorsky, a program lead from ECOM, a regional community-led network. And we're going to discuss the important functions of the networks in empowering communities and how donors can become more participatory. I'm really happy to have today Yuri Yorsky, who's a program lead of ECOM. It's a regional network from Eastern Europe. And uh, Yuri, would you like to say more about yourself to introduce yourself a bit better? Hey, Anastasia, and thank you for having me today with you. I'm Yuri Yorsky. I am an activist who was born in Ukraine, but I work in uh, ECOM, which is, as you mentioned, a regional network with the full name Eurasian Coalition on Health, Rights, Gender and Sexual Diversity. We are doing an important piece of advocacy activism related to access to HIV services for LGBTQI community. And we work apart from Eastern Europe and Central Asia as well. And I will be so happy to share with you my knowledge uh, and experiences in this work. Yeah, so the important thing uh, for both of us is, I guess, both of us are Ukrainians and we have known each other for ages. So which year was that when we met first, Yuri? Do you remember? Well, actually, it was uh, most probably 2015. Uh, I was at early stages of my activist career, if I may say so. And actually, I've been participating at your training where you were uh, teaching us on how to conduct a training on storytelling for human rights activists. And I was one of them. So I think it was a very cool time in the peaceful Ukraine, right? <laughs> yeah, that was many years ago. And since then, I think you have evolved into a fully accomplished leader, expert, and an activist of the regional regional level. So um, yeah, maybe you can tell a bit more about what Ecom is doing at the moment. I joined Ecom in 2017, so it's been already seven years, and I started there as human rights officer, and now I'm programs lead. So time flies by really quick. And uh, now as a part of this organization for seven years, I'm taking the full responsibility of all the programs that Ecom is doing. And uh, I think most importantly that we provide absolutely enormous support for the communities on the ground in the countries of Eastern Europe and Central Asia in terms of organizational development, in terms of uh, organizational capacity to build their advocacy and advocacy strategies uh, in order to change the laws in policy, which would be more inclusive and more, more supportive of 
LGBTQI community, the equality. And in this sense, we make sure that we bring the voices of these communities uh, to our donors and partners for those who are unable to do that on the, uh, on behalf of themselves. So as you mentioned earlier, as a regional network, ECOM promotes the principles of participatory approach of engaging with the communities on the ground and bringing their voice. Maybe you can tell us why do, do you believe that participatory principles are so important and why probably they should be promoted further for other partners and donors? I think that it's a crucial piece of work, the approach of work for any community organizations that work for communities or with communities. ECOM main principle of work is nothing about us without us. We are a community-led organization. We are an association of more than 90 members representing LGBTQI community. Our governing body is complied completely of the representative of LGBTQI community. And our staff are more than 50% are LGBTQI community themselves. Part of our strategy states clearly that we include community-led monitoring as an approach of our work to make sure that communities has the voice at all the stages of the services uh, provision to the community or for the community. So at first, I do believe that there is first layer, which is access to the information from the field, because we see a very huge gap between what donor priorities are and what community needs are. Uh, it's a long story when donors might be able to conduct actually the needs assessment of the community and to ensure that their funding really would fill in these gaps. But usually it's not the case. Second, what I think, uh, so the second layer of this issue, uh, why participatory approach is important, that we actually need to think of the existing pyramid of privileges that we have right now, and pretty much a very Western view, which is a colonizing view on the human rights, on the funding with, that exists in the region of Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And in this sense, we need to make sure that the power to influence the way how the funds are distributed and what needs they are filling, it needs to be changed. And it should not be dictated by the donors itself. It should come from the ground. And yeah, taking into account the decolonial approach that we are talking more and more, thankfully, nowadays, uh, I want to mention that it's not only the decolonial approach, which is West versus the South. We need to think about decolonial approaches that exist in our regions, and in particular in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. The war in Ukraine revealed this problem, how Russia was actually providing this colonial repressive politics and trying to influence the whole region with their own view. And now, when the war in Ukraine in this active phase, we can see why the colonial approach is very important and why it's really important to think about the power inequalities that exist. So yeah, speaking about decolonization, what you mentioned is very important. And I'm really happy that we're starting to have this very frank discussions about which countries are dominating the power inequalities and how that could be changed and how communities can play an active part in that change. And not only in, in our region, in Eastern and Central Asia, East Europe and Central Asia, but also across the globe, globe, I think we have to be very much aware of the fact that in each 
of the regions, their countries who are imposing certain politics, uh, certain worldviews, and also influencing the funding streams and the ways the communities are funded and treated at the levels of policies and practices. But you, uh, as a representative of the regional and community-led network, can you speak about the networks themselves? Why do you think that networks are so important to empower communities for such change? Why networks? I think it's important to mention that uh, national communities or communities on the ground, they not, might not be that well-developed as donors expect them to be. That's why the role of regional communities is so important, because we can be those who would amplify their voices. We can serve as a transition point between all those decision makers, stakeholders, and the communities on the ground themselves, and most importantly, those who are left the most behind, those unreachable communities. At the same time, regional networks will play a very crucial role in terms of coordinating all the national initiatives and organizations to make sure that their advocacy efforts are united and they are actually strengthened with needed tools and resources. It's also very important to mention that networks are collecting the data on the ground by the means of community and networks analyzing this data as a part of the community itself following the principle of community-led monitoring. Regional networks, we analyze, synchronize, and uh, scrutinize the existing trends related to human rights inequalities, to problems in accessing HIV services, which might not be visible on the national level and might not be visible to the donors that are working in the whole region. So we try to settle the particular needs that would be common for the whole region by making sure that the specifics of the each states are included. Next thing that is important for the regional networks is actually developing the regional strategy on how to overcome these barriers and how to make sure that communities are included at all the stages of these advocacy efforts to overcome these barriers. So this, I do believe our role is here as well. Well, we all speak about participatory approaches and everybody nowadays wants to be very participatory. Can you tell how Ecom as a network has been created? In my opinion, the very process of your creation is a nice illustration of how communities and donors can get together and using the participatory approach, create something for the bigger change in the region. Yeah, it's a very cool story, actually. Back in 2009, communities of gay men and trans people in Eastern Europe and Central Asia agreed to meet up for the conference and to discuss what the issues in access and to HIV services exist in the region. And this event was greatly supported by the donors who were involved in uh, HIV prevention in the region. And one of the solutions of this conference, one of the decisions was actually the need of creation, the regional coordination mechanism tool, which appeared to be our organization later on. So the decision came up to register a regional non-governmental organization, which UCOM did. And in 2011, the initiative group was formed 
while in 2013, we've been already registered in Estonia as a regional network. And last year, we've already celebrated 10 years, and we've been the flagman of the HIV-related advocacy for LGBTQI communities in the region. Well, I'm sure you passed a long way since the registration and since your inception. Have there been any lessons that you've learned on this way? Any challenges that you faced, probably? I think for any organization, but as bigger, as more important it becomes to be able to actually learn from your mistakes and not close your eyes of if any mistakes are there. So I think it's also important lesson for Ecom was the change of the name because when organization was registered back in 2011, we were called as Eurasian Coalition on Male Health. While organization been working clearly with all the LGBTQI community. And ever since, while developing and conducting implementing programs related not only to gay men or bisexual men, it, it became clear that the needs of, of the communities that are left behind are not particularly targeted. So our membership voted that there is a need to actually change the name and change the programming to ensure that those communities that are left behind needs to be included in the work of the regional network. In this sense, when the name was changed, we really understood that it's really important to have the closer cooperation and coordination with other vulnerable groups as a main key for the participatory approach, because we are not the only one who are working in the field. It's very important to have this partnership. Another lesson that we learned, it's intersectionality, because we do believe it's very crucial, the representation of all the different communities and their possibilities to influence all the programs we have here. In this sense, we as a communities, we are as LGBT community represented not only these letters, LGBTQI, at the same time, we represent all the different identities that we need to embrace and we need to include them in our work. So that should be done the same by our donors and our partners. And last but not least, which I repeated already, that's nothing about us without us. I think it's really important principle for the networks to make sure that all the voices are included in their work. Yeah, it's hard to disagree. I mean, this is a principle that is important for all of us. And I'm really glad that we've mentioned all the lessons for the communities to become more visible and more powerful. Let's now think about the tips for the donors who also want to engage in more participatory practices. What is your experience as working uh, in the community-led networks? What can it offer to the new and modern donors? I think it's nothing new. I would highlight this as for many times as it's needed. I will, I will here repeat myself, and I'm not tired of it, intersectionality. For donors, it's really important to actually become more inclusive and diverse in terms of the needs that are reflected in their call for proposals. We are living in the era where we are not representing any more identities and we cannot put the people in the boxes. So in our case, it should not be the call for proposal solely for LGBT. It should be the call for proposal for all the vulnerable communities that might be representing all the different communities at the same time. Second lesson for the donors, I do believe that 
their programming needs to think on how to foster the collaboration between the different groups so that the donors can provide these targeted funds to, let's say, some joint programs among these different groups and the communities. From our experience, this is a very powerful advocacy tool. We as a network work a lot with the regional networks working with the drug users. We collaborate a lot with the network of sex workers and the youth. And these are just some few examples what these communities are, but this list might be long, long, long. Third, I think donors should think about the changing funding approaches to become more flexible. And in this sense, providing funds to core and organizational supports. I think that communities themselves, they know better on what the community's needs are and how to target them. I think we need to foster the trust from the donors to the communities. And in this sense, I want to bring the RCF as a very good example. When the grants are provided and there is a core funding that is very important for community development, where the emphasis is made on how to support the communities they are doing this great work. And last but not least, donors need to create these decision-making spaces where communities with the donors and other stakeholders, they can get together and make actual decisions as equal partners so that there would not be a strong power struggle. I'm really glad that you mentioned Robert Carr Fund because this is exactly the approach that our fund is using in funding the network. So we're providing core, flexible, and long-term funding to the regional and community-led networks. And we are the donors who are promoting the principle of equal partnership between donors and communities on the ground because we are aware that the expertise is happening among the communities and that the communities can be real drivers of change. And we in Robert Carr Fund and AIDS Fonds are very much supporting the phrase that communities first and that they could be real drivers of change. Uh, Yuri, I'm really grateful to you for this discussion today. Is there anything else you would like to add at the end of our conversation, maybe? I just really want to thank you for the invitation and for this important chance to share my experience with others. I do believe that it's really great what we are doing together as the communities with you as the donors to really show the world and other donors that participatory approach is possible and it's working well. So I just wish other donors to be as flexible, as supportive as RCF. Thank you for the invitation, Anastasia. Thank you. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you for listening to the Communities First podcast. Make sure to follow us wherever you're catching this episode. And do share any thoughts and questions you might have about today's conversation. We would love to hear from you.